This is unstructured. Hey everybody, today we have Julio Briones and he runs Answer Man Specialty Services. Now, that's an interesting name and is kind of vague, but what he provides as a service, I think, is, is truly unique, and that's why I really wanted to have him on. Um, Julio, can you explain exactly what it is you do? Well, uh, Answer My Specialty Services, what we are is a personal crisis management company. So essentially, I take my life experience and my education and my work history And I've combined all of this in order to help people get through what I've come to label as personal crises. This includes getting arrested, going to prison, uh, going to addiction treatment centers, going through a divorce, and all of the collateral things that most people don't think about. Okay, so like when uh, there was the BP had the oil spill, they had a crisis management team that came in and dealt with them. How do you answer the public? How do you get your ducks in a row? Things like that. You just do it on the micro scale. Well, crisis management is usually public relations and it's for large, small, medium to large companies. Mm -hmm. Personal crisis management is a similar concept where in a crisis management situation, the PR company comes in or the crisis manager and he will prepare scripts, he or she, Uh, They'll prepare scripts, they'll coach people what to say, what not to say, topics to avoid, things of that nature. Uh, As a personal crisis manager, I come in and I, it it really depends on the the problem that's going on. But in about, I'm going to say about 60 to 70% of the time, I come in and take over all functions of what's going on. So I'll give you a good example. Um, I had a client. I would say about about a year ago now, uh, this this woman came to me because her son had some serious drug issues. She was also in the middle of a divorce. Uh, her, you know, there was a domestic violence issue going on where her husband was a little bit abusive, and she was taking care of his parents. And you know, she was recommended to me by by some uh, friends and. I essentially had to come in, sit her down and say, let's figure out, give me the list of what's going on and take her out of the equation. I had to set up the, the uh, drug treatment for her son, mm-hmm. get the divorce lawyer in place, start going around and trying to figure out and decipher based on budgets and finance, what's really going to be the best long-term plan for you know, for for the older people, I mean, these, her mother-in-law had Alzheimer's and her father-in-law just no clue what to do. You know, I mean, she's always taking care of him. You know, now somebody needs to take care of her. And that was a big issue in and of itself. And all of these things combined, we had to develop this plan, go through the budgets, get everything set up and ultimately coach, coach the son through court, through testifying you know, because they spent their money on me. They didn't really hire a very good private lawyer. And the rest, whatever money they had in their budget available, really went towards the divorce and, their, and the home care for, for the, older, the older in-laws. 
Hmm. So that's that's what. Yes. So uh, in, in essence, are mm-hmm. are you kind of like a manager? You know, sort of how a, a band would have a manager, and that person would be the point person. So you you don't talk to the band directly; you talk to the manager. Is that correct? So you inject yourself sort of in the middle as a screen between her and the problems. Would that be a fair analogy? That that's probably the fairest analogy. Now that is a more ex, you know, a more extreme example, but my my typical case, it's not quite that hands on. I do a lot of coaching because I will help people get through it and understand what's going on and helping them redefine success for themselves. But in my typical case, I'll come in and I'll just take over certain aspects. The You can't go to court all the time. I'll go sit there in court. I'll relay things to the attorney. I'll you know figure out what needs to get done so that you can continue in your life. Because let's be realistic. If a situation were to happen in my own life, I couldn't stop working in order to take care of it. And most people can't afford to do both. Even if you're earning a very good living, which you would... You know, to, so you can afford all of these things, especially you then. still can't. Stop. Actually, yes, uh, I, you're absolutely right. Um, okay, so one statement you almost kind of tossed aside there was redefine success for themselves. Yes, yes. When when we go through these problems, these personal crises, uh, I'll use myself as an example. Mm-hmm. Before. I went into this career field. There was a point in my life I had come out of the army and I had a couple of successful clothing stores and that was my definition of success at the time. I I was making money. I was, you know, living the life that I wanted and I was working towards establishing myself financially. Okay. Uh, We'll get into, we'll probably get into it a little bit later, but at one point during all of this, I was arrested, and I spent the next 10 years of my life in prison. Okay. Why, why don't we get into it now? What, what exactly happened? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, um, when, I came out of the, when I came out of the Army, I had, right before my discharge, I had actually got shipped out to Kuwait, and there was a lot of, a lot of things going on in my life at that time where I, I felt lost when I was discharged, you know, like all of a sudden I went from this highly structured life, having people that you can, you can rely on. Like, uh, um, are you a veteran? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So you understand the camaraderie that, that, that level of understanding that even if you dislike the person in the foxhole with you, you can count on them to do what they can to keep you alive and they can count on you to keep them alive. And that level of being able to depend on another person was just fantastic to me. It it was something that when I lost that and I started trying to rely on friends and family that I needed their assistance just to get things going, I didn't have it. If you don't mind my interrupting, mm -hmm. um, before the military, where did you grow up? I'm actually from New Jersey. Okay. Um, um, originally, uh, I was born in New Jersey. I was raised between Queens, New York and, uh, central Florida. Mm-hmm. Now, finished. was it, uh, did you have a, a pretty stable upbringing or were you, did you grow up in a rough area? The reason why I ask is because you latched right on about structure. 
And most of the people mm -hmm. who really enjoy the structure in the military often didn't have it growing up. Well, on, on the contrary, I, I actually did have a very, very structured upbringing. Okay. Uh, I, I'm not, I'm not your typical hard case when it comes to, you know, the guy that went to prison, you know, my, my parents, uh, you know, my father passed away when I was young, but my mother remarried by when I, by the time I was like five. Okay. So my stepfather, very good to me, never treated me or my sister differently. Uh, my half brother, uh, I've always, I've never looked at him as anything other than my brother. You know, we grew up until my father passed away about in 2009. And we were all one big happy family. You know, just we've, there's always a, a lot of love, a lot of stability, you know, a good father figure. All of the things that you would think would keep somebody out of prison. Mm -hmm. It's essentially what, what I had. Um, I enjoyed, it wasn't so much the structure of the, the regimen in the military. It's that, that sense of belonging, uh, I, I can't explain it. It's just one of those things. I, I truly enjoy the camaraderie, the that that sense um, that sense of belonging. I was always that odd kid out in high school. Okay, which which yeah. service was so, it again? Army. I was in the army. Yes. Okay. And so I I discharged from the army, honorable discharge, and I came home and while trying to figure it all out. I opened these clothing stores and uh, here in uh, New Jersey, mm -hmm. and uh, everything was going great. You know, um, I had a girlfriend at the time that, you know, I I'm gonna say she probably wasn't the best for me. <laughs> you know, and um, you know, she had a bunch of friends that I ended up associating with, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, I was young and stupid, and her friends weren't the best people. We ended up going out to go see a movie because I had gotten into an argument with her. So I called one of our mutual friends and he brought some people I had never met before. We went in to see what time the movie started just to date everything and put things into perspective. Mm -hmm. Star Wars, the Clone Wars was just released the weekend before. Oh God, it was a bad movie too. Yeah. I'm, I never got to see it. Oh, so. don't, don't, don't bother. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been told that many times. So I'm I'm there. Uh, we I'm watching the movie, and I turn around and I go to my to my buddy. I I point out there. I'm like, hey, aren't aren't those your friends running across the parking lot? And he's like, yeah. Ten days later, I am being arrested and charged with robbery, carjacking, and various weapons offenses. Because what they had done was wait for one of the movies to come out, you know, to be let out, and they stole someone's car at gunpoint. Hmm. So, um, cops investigated. I didn't really know what was going on. Uh, I didn't even know that I was part of this investigation until about uh, three or four days before I was actually ultimately arrested. They asked me to come in and, you know, um, just answer some questions. I had never been in trouble with the law, so I just went willingly with them. Mm -hmm. We're walking down a hallway at the courthouse. Uh, 
and I walk past the room and I see my friend's friends sitting in one room and they put me in the other room and they asked me to stand there a second. Next thing I know, I'm getting handcuffs placed and I have a police officer explaining to me that my, at that time, co-defendants had given a 60 page statement where they very, very much in detail described what happened and replaced me with their actions. So, so you were set up. I, I don't want to say I was set up. Look, here's one thing I've always said. I will never, ever say that I was innocent. Okay, you will never hear me say that. I do say this. I am not as guilty as I was made out to be. Okay, if that statement makes any more sense. It's a hedge for sure. <laughs> yes. Well, well no. Um okay, there there was when I was arrested, I did have a firearm. Okay. Okay. Being having been in the military and being a business owner, I had a firearm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So granted, the rest of it it wasn't there was no uh even a state police ballistics expert at my trial. Mhm had said that the gun they got from me had never been fired. Okay. Okay, so it's it's one of those things that was a gun fired at the scene? I did I, I don't know. Okay. Um I, I honestly to this day I don't know. I don't believe so. Uh nobody was hurt thankfully and you know I, I've come to terms with everything that did happen. But fast forward a little bit from the moment of of arrest mm-hmm. to my trial, the two victims, the two people that were robbed did come to my trial and openly say that at no point that I ever pick up a gun and rob them, that I was not the guy that robbed them. The prosecutor ultimately said in open court that I never picked up a gun and robbed anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I was essentially convicted on was a, a jury instruction that's called accomplice liability, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which in short, for those that aren't familiar with this, if you and I are having dinner at a restaurant and I get up and leave and you rob the restaurant, I am potentially equally as guilty as you are because there was opportunity for you to have told me what you were going to do or for me to figure out from your actions that you were up to something that you shouldn't have been and did nothing to report it. It's similar to conspiracy with the exception that in a conspiracy, they have to prove that we talked about it with accomplice liability. They don't it's inferred. Wow. That's a specious thing. I should get Richie Lemuro back with you. Well, uh, I mean, this was for now after, I mean, this is many years later Mm -hmm. as of now, the, um, the, the law, the rule for that jury instruction really only applies anymore to murder or kidnapping. Okay. I was going to say like a getaway driver, I understand because they're part of the Mm -hmm. actual crime. Mm -hmm. If I go to a restaurant with somebody like he's an old buddy and I have no freaking idea. And I'm not well, there. That seems a little uh, creepy. Well, that's why that's why it's not permitted anymore, as openly or as freely as as it used to be. Good. 
So, <laughs> That's good yeah, to hear. Yeah, oh, yeah, very much so. Now, so in, in one of your podcasts, I think you referred that you had a 39-year sentence or something like that? Yes, yes. My original sentence was 39 years under the No Early Release Act. So what that actually means is uh, I, I would have been eligible for parole after only completing 85% of the second sentence. Twenty-five years, jeez. Yeah, yeah. Uh, t- uh, roughly twenty, like twenty-six and change. Um, <laughs> you know, when because they do it by days, number of days, and you have to calculate leap years and a bunch of other th- things that get factored into there. Wow. Um, so when it's all said and done, that's what it is. But there was a maximum exposure that should I had misbehaved to to my own detriment while in custody, I would have been exposed to a maximum of 44 years in state custody. So how did you get it shortened? Uh, a, a lot of money uh, went to lawyers. And when I ran out of money, I became a paralegal. And I, you know, one of the lawyers that I had hired gave me probably the best advice that I have ever received in my time trying to figure all of this out. And it's advice I give um, when talking to some of my clients. He asked me the very simple question. Do I, do I want to be right and prove that I'm not as guilty as they're making it out to be? Or do I want to be able to go home one day? Because the approach hmm. means as much as 20 to 25 years of fighting in the courts. Wow. So when he put it that bluntly, I decided that going home was a smarter move. And I focused on attacking the actual number of years that I have to be in prison. So that's, that's where it all, where it all came down. I'm interested in that. Uh, What, what is that, that process then that you did? So you, you, instead of going for, uh, (laughs) instead of saying, uh, I didn't do it, you're saying, I did it fair. Yes, I said I did it. Accuse me of whatever you want. I'm fine with it, but it is an excessive amount of punishment for the circumstances that actually occurred. Okay, and it took a long time. It took many trips to court. Uh, six six times that they actually had to adjust my sentence before it was all said and done. Um, my sentence jumped up and down during the process because I appealed stuff, the state appealed stuff. And when, when we all, you know, when the dust settled, I ended up with a 12 year sentence with 85% of it Mm. that I had to complete, which came out to 10 years, two months and like 16 days. Okay. And how much had you already served before you finally got that outcome? About seven years. Okay. So at least yeah. you had a light at the end of the tunnel. How about your co-defendants? Yes. Whatever happened with them? Okay. Um, th- I have a total of four co-defendants. It's myself and four other people. Excuse me. Uh, one of them got probation. And another one got a suspended sentence. And the other two got five years and seven years. Um the one that got the five years was the guy who actually had the gun, but he turned everyone else in and they cut him a very good deal. <laughs> and um, 
another one of my co-defendants became a witness on another investigation and turned in, actually turned in their own cousin and their own father. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. So when the dust settled for them, they got two years probation. But the one in particular that got the five years actually completed a sentence, went home, violated parole, completed a whole new set of crimes, and was released on that before I got the opportunity to get released well, once. Good. I'm, I'm <laughs> glad that everything is evenly distributed. Yes, yes. <laughs> wow. Um, yes. Well, it's uh, it's the state system. It's much, much more complicated in the state because of budgetary reasons mm-hmm. than it is in than it is in the federal system. The federal system is as much as people that are listening will probably hate me for saying it. It's actually much more fair in the federal system than it is in the state because the feds thoroughly investigate. They do not make very many assumptions. I'm not saying that they're perfect, Mm -hmm. (laughs) far from it, but they're, they're more efficient at investigating and they equally fund the public defender for your federal case, um, they they fund it much more equally than they do in the state. Hmm. The average time on a trial, from arrest to trial, on the rare occasions that uh, court cases go to trial, the amount of time that a, a public defender on the federal level will spend with you will actually average out to about 15 days total Hmm. over a average 18 to 24 month process on the state level from arrest to trial you're lucky to get on average depending on the county and everything else seven minutes really just think about that for a moment your life is on the line and you are potentially going never going to see the light of day again and you get seven minutes to plead your case to an attorney. Wow. Is this now, to jump to your current um, position, mm-hmm. is this something you help with? Yes. Well, this is where this is where all of this evolves into what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. While I was in there, I learned, I learned the law. I actually became a paralegal. And one of the actually truly amazing things about the state of New Jersey... And I, I, I don't have a lot of great things to say about about the court systems here, but the attorney general's office, the state attorney general, actually provides training for free to those that meet the criteria in the prison system to become a paralegal. Hmm. Okay. And they actually train you well enough to where if you met the college requirements, you would theoretically be able to pass a the same type of certification procedure for most states to become like a judge's clerk Hmm. you really have to learn case analysis it's not just about you know typing a paperwork or being a legal secretary it's fantastic can you read into the law there i know you can in virginia what do you mean uh in virginia you can technically read into the law as in if you're capable of studying, you can pass the bar. Okay. Uh, in New Jersey, it, uh, 
if I'm not mistaken, because I looked into it, New Jersey does not permit ex-offenders to become attorneys. If you can't, if you have a non-expungible offense, you can't do it. Okay. Yeah. Um, And it's a matter of fact, to answer your other question, just I'm going to get into more detail about exactly how I help my clients on this level. Oh, yeah, yeah. But in New Jersey, I cannot give legal advice. I could actually go back to prison for up to three years for it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So what... But going through that class and working inside the institution as a paralegal for a number of years gave me a very good understanding of procedure, case law, and the realities of what to expect, especially when it comes to sentencing issues based on degree of offense and everything else. So because I know my limitations, I'm very careful to, and, and I will say this very clearly, I only, re, um, I only give anecdotes or circumstances, hypothetical circumstances directly related to my own personal experience. Okay. I do not give actual legal advice. Makes sense. Okay. So <clears throat> if someone were to come to me, and this is something that has happened many times. All right, I will be dealing with a client that I am preparing them and their family, and I'm going through all of this process because there's things that have to be set up for an arrest and a term of incarceration. And I will typically get the answer, the question. The prosecutor offered me X amount of years. Hmm. Should I take it? That is a situation that I can never tell Yes or no. I can, what I can do is based on my experience, this is what happened to me by going to trial. This is what happened, what my process was. Mm -hmm. And then I can help them through coaching and open-ended techniques to let them come up to their own conclusion based on, um, based on a risk analysis. I mean, that's, that's really what it, what it comes down to. Uh, it's no different than, than sitting and trying to analyze uh, on a business. Should I invest in X, Y, Z? Right. Yeah. So you essentially help them to create the uh, two columns, pros and cons, and you guys have to decide on your own. Exactly. Exactly. Cause I cannot cross that line. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't practice law. I can't even give the impression that I'm practicing law. Okay. So, while I was in there, I did in, in prison, and now I'm a paralegal, and I'm actually helping, and I'm defending guys that have had institutional infractions in administrative court inside the prison system. And I'm dealing with all my own stuff. I'm, you know, I have uh, another, another person that I met in between my arrest and actually going to prison, and we're, we're trying to keep our relationship together, and I'm you know, I have things that I'm dealing with with my own family, you know, my mother, my father. And, you know, while I was incarcerated, he passed away. Mm. And there was a lot of different things that I'm working on. And I'm seeing that a lot of these other people in there are dealing with the same things. And all of this kind of started running around in my head, especially when the time came that I, I got my appeal decision saying that I, at this point, I'm going to be able to go home. I have daylight. I, 
I have hope again. And now I'm going to tell you, I was equally as devastated to know that I was going to be free in a very short amount of time as I was when I was told I will never see daylight again. Hmm. Okay. And that may seem like a strange concept. I've but, heard of that. Um, institutionalized. Well, no, it's it's not quite. Um, it's not quite ins- being institutionalized. It It's more equated to uh, resignation. If you were to go to the doctor and the doctor were to tell you, listen, you, you have... I hate to tell you this, you have stage four cancer. You're going to die in about six months. Mm-hmm. All right. So you're going to sit there and you're going to be like, oh, my goodness, Eric, what do I do now? And you're going to start thinking of all of this stuff that you have to do before you die and how. And eventually, once you go through your stages of grief, you finally are going to hit acceptance. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, you're, you're just going to sit there and say, okay. Well, let me enjoy my life to the fullest. Let me. Uh, do you have you have a wife, kids? I have a wife. Okay. So let me enjoy this time with my wife, and let me make the most of it to leave her with the best memories I possibly can. And you're resigned to the fact that at about 180 days, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. When I was sentenced. I, I didn't quite understand, you know, how consecutive and concurrent and all of these other intricacies about the sentencing structure. And I thought I was, uh, actually, when I added up the numbers in my head as the judge was reading them off, I thought I was being sentenced to over 120 years. Hmm. So I passed out. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, just, it was that overwhelming for me. I'm sure. And, you know, um, when he got done, I, I thought... You know, it's about 150, 160 years at this point, and I thought my life was over. And then the judge actually says, well, listen, it's not as bad as it sounds. It's only 39 years. So I passed out again. Because <laughs> 39 years. Only? <laughs> yes. 39 how years. Old, I mean, how old? Uh, I, at the time, I, I was, let's see, 27. Okay, so it was 12 years <laughs> older than your current, your whole life. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean... <laughs> I was like, all right, I, I have, I, I, yeah, I have more life to live inside of a jail cell than I do what I've been on this earth. And it just, it, it my brain couldn't handle it. So now I have to go from the fact that I have accepted that living in a 10 by six metal box was the rest of my life. All right that I would never understand again what it would be like to spend time with my family unsupervised. I would never know what it would be like to be able to prepare my own meals. Mm -hmm. I would never know what it would be like to, to have sex again, to have, I don't, I didn't have children. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was young and single. I wasn't trying to have kids. I was very careful of that. And I would never know, what it would be like to to have a child, which was something that to me was a very big deal. Right. So I went from accepting all of this to all of a sudden 
realizing that I had to hit the reset button in my life and I only had about three years to do it. Mm. The panic that came over me just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. I was grateful. Sure. But it took me almost as long to come to terms with the fact that I had to start my life over again as it did to come to terms with the fact that my life was over. Hope can be scary too. Yes. Yes. Out of curiosity, even with the sentence you did have, was it Mm -hmm. um, like time traveling? Because I mean, the whole world's moving while you're in there. Oh, Oh, well, yeah, I'm going to get to all of that here. Oh no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, These are, these are normal, normal parts. Whenever I go over this with people, Hmm. the, so, that at that point, I actually um, shortly after that, you know, it was actually on my birthday that I got the letter from the court. Happy birthday! Um, yeah, that's that's that was uh, an amazing birthday gift for me. Um, but I sat there with the letter in my hands. I, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know where what my next move was going to be, and I did know one thing. I knew that I was given an opportunity that probably about three to 5% of the people that were in that maximum security prison with me would ever get. I was given a second chance at my life and I knew I didn't want to waste it. And that's actually when the concept of answer man specialty services was born that, you know, I didn't have a name to it. Mm-hmm. But what I wanted to do, that's that's where it started. At that moment where I was trying to figure out how can I help someone not go through what I went through or my family went through throughout this process. Yeah, I listened to uh, one of your podcasts and you kind of hammered the uh, point of maybe your most important lesson in life is to be grateful. Yes, uh, there's whether... It is a blessing or a lesson. You have to be grateful for everything, for everything that happens to you in life. You know, you stub your toe. Well, if nothing else, if you got nothing else out of that, you should learn to be more careful where you're stepping. (laughs) You know, if, you know, I I mean, today I'm, I'm extremely blessed. I, you know, I have my company that I, it's taken me many years. This is not a project that, that just took off because if no one knows that you have a service that exists, no one knows they need you. So it took, it's taken me a long time to build it up. I've expanded it into not only taking care of clients, but into employee assistance programs and workshops and, you know, where I actually am able to prepare large groups of people for what's coming and for personal crises. Some of that is having to train the public as to what it is you do, right? Or educate them that there is actually a service, that it is needed. You're addressing a need that people don't necessarily realize is there. Exactly. Uh, That's actually one of my, when I first started this, my biggest campaign, my longest running campaign that I still bring it about from time to time, is that I offer a new approach to an age old problem. You know, most people 
most people think that going to prison or getting arrested or going to drug rehab is just as simple as showing up. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, the cops came. All right, I'm going to jail. Who cares? <laughs> you know, right. I mean, I'm oversimplifying it, obviously, but it's really a lot more complex than that. Um, I'll tell you, I'll use as an example, probably my most complicated client. Okay. This was an individual. Um, he, he was actually a, an accountant that, that ran, his business was pretty big. He, he had a number of other accountants working for him and he, he got caught doing some things that he shouldn't have. Okay. Uh, white collar crime, but on a state level, not federal. It didn't quite reach that level. And he was facing about 15 years. Okay. Um, You know, this is, this was something that he had to worry about his parents, which sadly, both of them had Parkinson's disease. Mm. He, he and I, um, he's about five years older than I am. All right. He had a wife, three young children, his, you know, his business to worry about. He had, he had to figure out how all of this was going to continue to go and to run without, without him losing everything. Because on a 15 year sentence with good behavior, everything else, uh, because it was a nonviolent crime, he could potentially have been out in about three to five years. Hmm. Okay. Okay. It's so 15 years sounds like a lot, but the way the sentencing structure is, it really wasn't as awful as it sounded. Does it depend on the crime? Yes, very much so. Uh, Violent crime is a lot tougher than nonviolent crime. And white collar crimes, such as, you know, embezzlement or fraud, Mm -hmm. the while the penalty can be stiffer. Take Bernie Madoff, for example, mm-hmm. you know, where he'll never see daylight. That mainly had to do with one, the lack of remorse, and two, the inability or refusal to pay restitution. Mm. This guy was it was about two million dollars, and he gave it back. Okay. Okay. Well, he agreed to give it back as part of his plea deal. All right. So that weighs heavily in your favor when it comes to this type of crime. There's also a class angle, I hate to say, but uh, he was probably in an upper oh, stratus yeah. of, uh, oh, of folk. And that's <laughs> yes. going to naturally um, assist. Um, yeah, he, he actually lived in, or, well, his, he lived in a very extremely wealthy town, probably the fifth or sixth wealthiest town in the state. Right. Okay. Um he lived in the same general area as people like Springsteen. Okay. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, look, uh, at the end of the day, uh, why I do the workshops also is because not everyone can afford to pay me privately. I mean, you, you know, it's, it's something that uh, the amount of work that is involved in something like that, like mm-hmm. this, let's take this guy's situation. I had to help him and his wife figure out how to stay together throughout the, the, the time that he was going to be away. How do you break it to the kids? How do you do all of this without building, without building resentment and without destroying the family unit? It's not easy. 
I'm not right. saying I'm I'm not a therapist and by any means. You know, I'm just a guy who's been there. Right. All right. So I, I go through, I've developed my own coaching techniques to do this and to help people get through all of this. But, and thankfully, uh, I've been successful to this point. Um, <clears throat> but it's not, it's not like you walk away unscathed. You know, like we had to figure all of that out. What right. was going to happen? Because now that he was going away, the, his wife had to take a that leadership role in the family, right? You know, so we had to move from. She had to wrap her head around that and figure out all the finances. Figure out where you know what needed to happen on a day to day that he would normally take care of because they were a very traditional. Uh, I want to say um, they had very old school values. Sure. So she her focus in life was the kids. And that's it. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I have, um, no, you know, I have a lot of respect for women that that's a choice. Okay. And they, before they got married, that was something that they discussed. Right. He, he was going to work and she, if kids ever came along, she, that would be her focus. So now we also had to worry about, you know, a, a business. This is a large functioning business where we have one individual who's an accountant that has a lot of business sense and knowledge mm-hmm. versus his wife who didn't really have a lot. Mm-hmm. So we, we had to under, we had to put together power of attorneys. Uh, I, I do have a lot of business knowledge and experience. So some of the things I had to help uh, put some of the things in place and continue to advise him until he was released. How about reputation issues? Well, the that wasn't something that became a huge deal for him. Um, he was known in the area as because he stole the money from the state. So mm-hmm. in the process, some people indirectly profited off of what he was doing. <laughs> so you know, so nobody was really too unhappy about that. Uh, there were things when he came out there were things that I had to help him with mm-hmm. uh, because one of the things that, again, one of the many issues that people don't think about is you went to prison. Now you still have to rebuild your reputation regardless, even mm-hmm. to whether it's to a small extent or a large extent, you have to be able to, to rebuild and things on the internet don't go away. Right. So if I were, for example, to look up, Eric Hunley right now on Google, I'm sure I will find many things associated with your, your business and your business processes. Sure. Okay. Uh, if you went to, if you went to prison, um, I would have to fit, I would have to help you figure out how to bury that on those search, search engine okay. results. Okay. All right. And that's, that's really, that's really the big thing. You have to replace Noise or produce okay. enough good and enough positive things that you're doing to just make it go away or there's at least a, bury it. There's a book called So You've Been Publicly Shamed by John Ronson, mm-hmm. and I believe he goes into that. Um, reputation services and they will literally build a, a profile and get thousands of mentions on thousands of pages with the idea that just 
like you said, it buries it. Right. Or puts it in so much noise around it. Yes, and that's really what it, that's one of the key things that, that we work on. Uh, the other thing is depending on the crime. Like, uh, I'm not going to have somebody who's who's uh, been convicted of some sort of predatory act, you know, um, go and volunteer at a daycare. Right. <laughs> you know, now, do you help I mean, everybody, or do you do you have um, some certain issues with different people? And it's not a judgment; I, it's just a question. Oh well, I I take I'm very selective about my clients. Okay, uh, because here here's where I have to be careful myself. One, I have my own family to worry about. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have my wife. I have uh, I have my daughter who's in college and is out there running around by herself, and I have my son who just turned two. Mm-hmm. I, I have to be very conscious of that mm-hmm. when I sit down with a client. So if I were to make the decision, I can't ask what the charges are per se, mm-hmm. but I can, you know, I do have the same tools that everyone else does and that's Google. And you've also been there. You can sniff some people. Yes. Um, yeah. And here's the thing. I have met murderers mm-hmm. that are some of the nicest people and decent, upstanding, and morally upright people you will ever meet in your life. I've read about that, too, that uh, they're not bad because they got rid of their problem. Yes. yes. As sick as that it, it, it is. I've, I've actually met a handful of serial killers Ooh. that are, you know, some have been very creepy. Um some some you would like they just they just really fit the uh you know um like that show uh about the BAU. Oh my goodness. Uh, I can't remember the name of the show right now. BTK? No, um it's on it's on uh, the Ion station. Okay, I'm not. It's about the behavioral analysis unit that the FBI has. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So most of these shows about serial killers, one of the things that they always describe is how normal they appear. Let me tell you, that that's that's a fact. <laughs> Some of them are very, like you sit there and converse with them and you would never imagine that they've killed 15, 16 people. You, you would just would never imagine it. On the same note, I have met people who were arrested for relatively minor crimes. Mm-hmm. And I know they're going to get out in a very short amount of time. And some of them already have been released and probably back in there. And it actually scares me that they're going to be released at one point in their life. Well, isn't it a case that that's just where they got caught for? Exactly. So I will actually sit there and I will take my time. And I my, my conversations with... <clears throat> My conversations with my clients are pretty extensive. Uh, I typically, you know, um, I will have about 15, 15, 20 minute conversation on the phone before I agree to anything. Mm-hmm. And I'll just try to get a feel for what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the reality is this, um, probably about 80% of the people that contact me, they are to a degree delusional. All right. Um, not, in the psychotic sense, no, no, but well, it's going to be okay. Or, Oh, you're going to get me out of this mess or yes. Like that. Yes. And you know, 
like here's I'll give you the best description that somebody ever somebody ever used to describe me. Uh, I have a very good friend. Uh, she currently lives in Tennessee, and her description of me is like this: You have a life coach, and a life coach will give you the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle, and they will take your hand and put the puzzle piece in your hand and help you gently figure out on your own where that piece goes in the puzzle of your life. I come in with a sledgehammer and duct tape. Okay. okay. <laughs> and that's that's sometimes what ends up happening. Happening. Uh, I do... That's why um, if you noticed on my, on my website at all, I am very specific that I am not your average life coach. I am a personal crisis life coach, and that's the only type of thing that I, I really do. Because I am very well aware of the fact that as a coach, I have to let you come to your own conclusions. When you're dealing with very specific situations, there are times where your de- your decisions will get you killed. Right. And I have to make them for you. Now that, um, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit on this, um, when you're dealing with somebody like the gentleman accountant you were speaking of, mm-hmm. do you spend a good deal of time on how to survive? Because somebody like me, I'll tell you right now, I'm terrified of going into prison. Do you yes. give a, a clue on this is what you do to get by, you know, keep your head down, do this, do this, do this. Is that yes. one of your main services? Um, my service is incremental, and it really all depends on what the client's needs are. I, I do believe I do begin with you know a planning phase where one of the this is what I was getting at a moment ago. One of the first things that we do is after my 15, 20 minute phone call, we'll we'll sit down, and our first session is going to probably be anywhere from two to three hours because I have to know what we're dealing with and what you need, and you have to agree to what you need. If all you want to do is learn how to survive in prison, we're, we're there. I will tell you exactly what you need to do, how you need to do it, and give you, uh, give you a very good education. And it's really going to all depend on, on your pocket, you know, on, on how, how big of a check do you want to write me at the time, all right? <laughs> Uh, is how much detail we'll have. I have had clients where they really only wanted to spend two to three hours with me, and we move on. I've had clients that I actually have had clients that have invested in themselves and in their entire process to where they'll just pay me for. I have a package, a service package actually that y- you can hire me for three years. You know where I'll actually walk you through. And hold your hand through the entire process. We'll hmm. we'll take you through the court process. We'll prepare you to go to prison. We'll take care of everything on the outside while you're in prison. I, I have a prison concierge service where I will make sure you have your books. I'll make sure you have you have the money for your commissary. I will make sure that birthday gifts are delivered on time. Uh, everything, even hmm. even have a car waiting for you on the day of your release. Okay. You know, uh, I mean, it, it really all depends on the client's needs, wants, and ability to pay. <sighs> you know, I, I, it's... Can you give um, for free, because we're 
on a yeah. podcast and nobody has money. Oh, of course. That's why I do my podcast, though. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah. What would be one general thing that you would say to me, I get arrested for whatever reason tomorrow, what do I need to do? Just in the very start of the process. Okay. The first thing, it would depend on what your charges are. Okay. Because that would actually be my very first question to you. Because in prison, there is a hierarchy, a food chain, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And depending on what you were arrested for is how well or difficult your life would become. If it was a non-sex-related crime, uh, my advice to you would be stay out of everyone's way in the county jail as much as possible. Because county jail is much more dangerous than any state prison that you could ever be in. Your your life expectancy is actually reduced by about 20% compared to the state prison. So let me get this straight. County jail, mm-hmm. where you're spending your time yes. because you haven't officially been sentenced, is more dangerous than when you are prison. actually sentenced and yes. have actually been convicted. Correct. Uh, the, the reason is this, and there's... There's an actual, an actual very good reason for this. When you're in the county jail, you are being housed with everyone. Okay. All sorts of crimes, people who've just been picked up, sometimes for very violent offenses, who are still drunk or under the influence of some sort of drug. Mm. You are also exposed to any street beefs that are going on. Rival gang members will be put in the same housing unit with you and you may you you may be in the middle of that unwillingly you don't know who to talk to and if you talk to the wrong person that can get you hurt great yeah the other the other big issue is depending on where you are in the country and where you are in your own state like uh i believe you're in virginia correct yes certain counties in virginia the county facilities have overcrowding issues. Mm-hmm. So um, you you could end up having to fight. And, and please, this is not, I'm not trying to get colorful with words here. I'm talking about really fight for your life just to have a place to sleep, a little segment of floor. Lovely. Okay. Uh, you know, I've, Sadly, I've seen a lot of very bad things happen to people. Now, does this mean it's like this everywhere? No. This is why, again, it, it would really we would really have to uh, sit and do homework. But I would always I always warn everyone of the same thing: if you can post bail, do so. Okay. Stay you know stay out of the county as much as you can, unless you are willing and able to fight. You know. That's that's a horrible way to put it, because I do not ever because fighting can get you all sorts of other problems. Right. You know, uh, it can actually add more time to your potential sentence, but it's a reality in the county jail. Um, you have uh, again a lot of homeless guys, a lot of people with severe drug habits that have no no money mixed in with other people, and uh, you being white, depending on where you are you would be definitely the minority in the prison system. Mm-hmm. And again, it, it has, you know, there's, 
in the real world, we like to pretend that everything is great and we're all, you know, we're, we're, nobody sees race and nobody sees color and everybody gets along great. In prison, it's the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I am a light-skinned Hispanic male. Uh, I could actually and have been easily confused for a white guy many times in my life. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, walking into prison... Before I sit and say, I can go and sit and talk to anyone I want, but I have to show respect to my own race and go say hi to the group of Spanish guys first. Same thing works with the white guys. Same thing Mm -hmm. works with the black guys. If I were to go and say hi to the black guys first or say hi to the white guys first, I will be labeled as a race traitor inside the prison. Oh, good Lord. Okay, and that brings its own set of problems because should you become a target for any of the gangs should you become a target it actually increases your likelihood because they know that by you doing that you have not you you have lost any respect and protection of the people that may just out of loyalty of the race help you should something happen so So it encourages everybody to be a racist yeah uh let me tell you for when I went into prison, I did not have those issues going through prison. Uh, there was a period of my time that I was extremely racist and not, you know, and and it wasn't one of those things that it's, that it was in me. And, you know, now I, it's not something that's in me anymore, but it's just a matter of survival. You know, you, you're in there, you're, if you don't want to, you have a few handful of options. You're caged. Yeah, you uh, exactly. I mean, uh, I thankfully have the advantage of you know being six one, and you know at, at the time, um, which I got to put up some of my old pictures onto my website. But at the time, I, I was about two twenty five with a four hundred and fifty pound bench. Ah, well, yeah. so uh, yeah, I I I didn't. I was never put into the situation where I had to join a gang or I had to. So in order to just, I said, it's, I I was able to stay to myself and not have to worry about it. On a different note, I guess we're running short on time. um, Mm -hmm. What can we do to help people stay out of prison as a society? Well, I, I was actually, this is very funny, I was having this conversation with someone uh, just over the weekend. I think that one of the biggest problems that, that we have right now is that we've lost our ability as a nation to let go. The media has sensationalized things to a point where we are no longer able to just move on from the past, you know, and it's, and it's just causing, I think a huge racial divide in the country. Mm -hmm. Spanish people are blaming, you know, uh, the immigration thing. Black people are blaming everything on, um, on uh, slavery years ago, white people are having issues with that, you know, white, white man's guilt type of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just horrible. Look, if we don't learn to let go of our past, what sort of a future are we going to have? I'm not saying that we should ever forget, 
but we got to stop blaming things that happened before we were even born. It's like, yeah, you know what? I've met some really great white guys. I've met some really great black guys. There's, there's people of all races that I have met in my life. Some of them I would give my own life for. All right, they've just become that close of a friend. Mm-hmm. But on the same note, I've met some really garbage people in my life. <laughs> you know, and it has nothing to do with race. These are just garbage human beings that no one would really miss them if they got hit by a bus. Okay, as horrible as that sounds. Right. But this is the one country in the world, and I've traveled to a lot of different places. This is the only country I have ever seen, and I think I am living proof of this, if nothing else. I have had a good life. I've had everything ripped away from me, and I'm rebuilding. I'm actually at a point where I have redefined my own success to where I'm happy. I am considering myself successful because I can pay my bills. I have a family that loves me, and I have the greatest gift of all that this country gives you, opportunity. Well, you know what? I really can't close any better than on that point. Seriously. (laughs) So where can people find you? Well, you can find me on the web at www.answermanspecialtyservicesllc.com. I know it's a mouthful. (laughs) How about Twitter, Facebook, anything else? uh, I'm all over Facebook. I, you can find me on my business page at answerman specialty services, or you can just look at my profile, Julio Briones. Uh, that's J-U-L-I-O, last name B-R-I-O-N-E-S. And you can find me on Twitter at Julio Crisis Manager or at Answerman Spec Services. And you also have a podcast. Yes, I have a podcast that I do that is called An Ounce of Prevention. Just, awesome name. Yes. Uh, and I that's actually what I also call my workshop series. Uh, it's An Ounce of Prevention, and I have another series called A Pound of Cure. Yeah. Well, excellent. And yes. I definitely encourage everybody to check it out. I've, I've listened to several episodes and you dispense good, good advice. And I think people who are not even facing some of the issues you're talking about could get something out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's my intent. You know, I really, I love to help people. And I think that, you know, if I can give back in even help one person in all my journey, moving forward that that would complete my life well you have a great message and a an outstanding spirit and attitude so thank you very much for coming on thank you for having me i really appreciate the opportunity now tonight's adventure into the unknown shut up and sit down Sarge and Frenzy from the Sarge Approved Podcast. Uh, if you're not familiar, the Sarge Approved Podcast has a guest every episode featuring uh, people like actors, comedians, uh, survival experts, authors, martial arts experts, basically a whole gamut of badass people. Yes. And you can check out all our episodes on all the podcast platforms, iTunes, Spreaker, uh, uh, Stitcher, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, um, and yeah. you can check us out on all our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, 
all the things. It's all at source approved. Yep. Check it out, and we hope you enjoy it. Bye. Later.